Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Lord, we thank you for this Shabbat and this opportunity to gather together as Mishpacha, uh, to gather together united in your Ruach HaKodesh. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your Ruach felt and received, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen. So this week we read Parsha Vayachi uh, from Genesis 47, 28 through 50, 26, which is the final Parsha of Bereshit or Genesis, as well as the closing chapters on two very important and prophetic narratives, the lives of Jacob and Joseph. We see a lot happening throughout Parsha Vayachi, beginning with Jacob asking Joseph to promise that he would be buried in the promised land. Then we see the curious blessing uh, spoken over Ephraim and Manasseh, jo uh, Joseph's sons, who were born in Egypt previous to Jacob's arrival. Ultimately, Jacob, for all intents and purposes, adopts Ephraim and Manasseh as his sons, and in doing so, gives a double portion of the promised land inheritance to Joseph, along with the very interesting crossing of Jacob's hands, blessing Ephraim as firstborn, even though he wasn't. Then we move to the prophetic blessings spoken over the 12 sons of Israel before Jacob's death, after which Jacob reiterates his desire to be buried in the promised land, particularly in the cave of Machpelah, to all of his sons, and then he dies. After Jacob dies, we see that the entire country of Egypt appears to have mourned for Jacob for 70 days. Then Joseph approaches Pharaoh about allowing them to take Jacob's body back to Canaan, to be buried with his fathers, and Pharaoh not only allows it, but provided the means for the transport, and a parade of Egyptian leaders went with Joseph and his brothers. And finally, we come to what I think to be one of the most interesting conversations in all of the Torah, Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. If you have your scriptures, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to that passage now. Again, it's Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. This is towards the very end of our Parsha towards the very end of Genesis as a whole. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died, they said, maybe Joseph will be hostile toward us and pay us back in full for all the evil we showed him. So they charged Joseph saying, before his death, your father gave a command saying, thus you must say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they treated you wrongly. Therefore, Please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Then Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for I am, am I in the place of God? Yes, you yourselves planned evil against me. God planned it for good in order to bring about what, is, what it is this day to preserve the lives of many people. So now, don't be afraid. I myself will provide food for you and your little ones. So he reassured, reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Notice that we see ver two very different heart responses here, one from Joseph's brothers and one from Joseph. It's been approximately 17 years since Isaac and all of his household moved to Egypt and were then reunited with Joseph. Over the course of that time, Joseph has made sure that they resided in some of the best of the land. We see that he made sure that they had Goshen provided for them as they were shepherds. He had made sure that, uh, that they are cared for and protected. He has shown nothing but love to his brothers. When in reality, any one of us 
would have likely used our power to enact some sort of retribution or retaliation upon them. Yet despite all of this, Joseph's brothers are still afraid of what he may do to them. Even though his, uh, he's had every opportunity and never gave any signal that he meant any ill intent against them, they are still terrified that he is going to do something now that Jacob is gone. Verse 15 again says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died, they said, Maybe Joseph will be hostile towards us and pay us back in full for all the evil we showed him. So they charged Joseph, saying, Before his death, your father gave a command, saying, Thus you must say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they treated you wrongly. Therefore, please forgive the transgressions of your servants, uh, of the servants of the God of your father. Then Joseph wept when they spoke to him, and his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your slaves. It's interesting that we see the brothers are still concocting schemes. There is absolutely zero evidence in the text that Jacob ever made such a command to the brothers. Matter of fact, there's absolutely zero evidence in the text whatsoever that Jacob ever uh, uh, really, that Jacob ever feared that Joseph might ha uh, use his position of authority to do any kind of harm or wrong against his brothers more so. And I think this is, is vitally important. There is absolutely zero evidence in the text that Jacob ever even knew about the brothers' plot to kill Joseph or their eventual selling him into slavery instead. So the assertion that Jacob commanded them to beseech Joseph for their lives is clearly a well-rehearsed lie contrived out of their own guilt, shame, and fear. As a matter of fact, Jewish tradition uh, says that, that uh, of course, this was a lie, but the reason why it was okay for them to, to say this lie was because it's life over law. And so if it's a matter of trying to save life and you're afraid that you're going to die, you're afraid that someone's going to kill you, then it's perfectly okay to lie in order to save your own hide, right? And so that's kind of the mindset that, uh, that, that, that as, as Judaism, we kind of look at this passage at. But the reality is, and, and, and I think this is vitally important, I would think if Jacob was enlightened on the reality of how and why Joseph ended up in Egypt in the first place, there would have been clear evidence of such when he spoke his final blessings over the 12 sons. In fact, he, didn't, he did mention the moral failures of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi very bluntly as he spoke over them. So it would only seem reasonable that if he, knew, uh, if he knew what had transpired, he would have made reference to them, uh, to it then, if not before. And you got to remember, when uh, Reuben was the firstborn of, of Jacob, the firstborn of Israel, in theory, Reuben should have had firstborn rights, but all firstborn rights were skipped over him because he slept with one of Jacob's concubines. Then you would think, okay, well, Simeon's nextborn. Simeon would get it, but Simeon and Levi were involved in the slaughter of Shechem, and so it skipped over him. Uh, in some regards, it skipped over Levi. As a matter of fact, Jacob's blessing, if you would, over Simeon and Levi specifically talks about how they would have no inheritance among their brothers, and Levi, in fact, did not. Levi, the, the descendants of Levi become the priests and so they had an inheritance. God became their inheritance. And I think that there's actually a, a, a connection here between blood for blood, as the Torah says, and their then being the ones who performed the sacrifices, the blood atonement that was necessary in the, the tabernacle and temple in connection to what happened in Shechem. But aside from that, we see that Levi didn't get any actual physical, physical inheritance in the promised land as the, the other tribes did. But Simeon, Simeon was given an inheritance, but ultimately Simeon gets assumed into the tribe and the inheritance of Judah. And so long-term, Simeon, Simeon vanishes out of the land inheritance. 
And so we see that Jacob not only prophesies this and his blessings over them, but makes very clear reference to the fact that he is well knowledgeable of their mistakes, of their failures, of their moral issues, but yet did not mention anything at all about what had happened to Jacob at their, uh, Joseph at his brother's hands. Aside from that, Joseph has only done right by his brothers since they've been in Egypt with him. Even when, the ulti- when he ultimately revealed his identity to them, he made it very clear that he didn't hold anything against them and that the whole scenario was orchestrated by God for their safety and salvation, if you will. As we see in Genesis 45, 4 through 8, when Joseph first reveals himself, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near. I'm Joseph, your brother, the one you sold to Egypt, he said. So now don't be grieved and and don't be angry in your own eyes that you sold me here since it was for the preserving, for preserving life that God sent me here before you. For there have been two years of famine in the land and there will be five more years yet with no plowing or harvesting. But God sent me ahead of you to ensure a remnant in the land and to keep you alive for a great escape. So now it wasn't you, you didn't send me here, but God. And he made me as a father to Pharaoh, lord over his whole house, and ruler over the entire land of, of Egypt. And notice before he reveals himself in this manner, and before he says the first time, it was not you that sent me here, but God for the sake of bringing salvation for you. What is it that Joseph does right before this? He breaks down and weeps and cries, seeing his brothers and seeing their heart change. And what is it that he does after they come to him again at the end of uh, in Genesis 50 and say, look, our father said you shouldn't kill us, so she, you should probably listen to that. What is it he does? He then again cries because even though he's seen the heart change, he isn't seeing it truly there the way he had hoped. Yet the brothers are somehow still blinded by fear, guilt, and shame. I wholeheartedly believe that the way they approach Joseph Knowing his love for and heartbrokenness over the death of their father, they invoked Jacob's name in this grand lie they had concocted in order to pull a little guilt job on Joseph. As I've read and prayed through the Parsha this week, I couldn't help but see a little of myself and the brothers here, though. I think if we're honest with ourselves, each one of us hearing this message can find ourselves in the same place. We have made so many mistakes. We have sinned over and over again. We have broken faith with the Lord time and time again. Despite the grand revelation of grace, mercy, and forgiveness we have seen through the salvational work of Yeshua, we still often find ourselves wallowing in guilt and shame. We also uh, allow the enemy to burden us with doubts because of it. Sometimes the guilt and shame over our sins may even cause us to doubt the work of redemption and salvation in our own lives. We ponder the great work of salvation that came in the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, and we wonder, why in the world would God love someone like me? I know all of my mistakes. I know all of my sins. I know all the people I've hurt. I know all the terrible things I've done. Why would he want someone like me? Why would he love someone like me? How could he love someone like me? Or let's take this thought a little further. How many of us have found ourselves thinking these thoughts about other believers? Someone who has wronged us, someone whose sins we are aware of and consider worse than our own. How many of us have found ourselves thinking, why in the world would God have accepted their repentance? He's got to know how horrible, how despicable, how deplorable they are. He's got to know about sin A, sin B, and or sin C. Why would he allow them to find salvation? 
Why would he forgive their sins? Why would he love them? And honestly, the same flaw of fallen humanity that was at work in Joseph's brothers that caused them to be blind to Joseph's love and forgiveness is often at work in us too. They just couldn't see past their own mistakes, their own wrongs, their own sins to see the work of grace and mercy right before their eyes. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't uh, clear their thoughts of, if I were in Joseph's shoes, I would dot, dot, dot. To see the, that Joseph's heart was in an entirely different place should have awakened them. I think similar thoughts and heartache were likely going through the minds of those who heard Peter preach at the temple on Shavuot after the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh in Acts 3, uh, chapter 2, verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the emissaries, Fellow brethren, what shall we do? I think these Jewish men and women who witnessed what just happened and heard the powerful words of Peter were heartbroken, not only over their sins and failures, but more so over what they allowed to happen to Yeshua. And Peter's message, he says, something akin to what Joseph tells his brothers earlier in Genesis when he revealed himself to them. And then again here in Genesis 50, in Acts 2, 22 to 24, Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Yeshua HaNatsrati, a man authenticated to you by God with mighty deeds and wonders and signs God performed through him in your midst as you yourself know. This Yeshua given uh, over by God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge nailed to the cross by the hand of lawless men, you killed, but God raised him up, releasing him from the pains of death since it was impossible for him to be held by it. He says they killed Yeshua, but it wasn't really they. It was the plan of God, and Yeshua was well aware of this going into it, just as Joseph was well aware that God had a plan for him, even though he continued to find himself in very terrible situations. And ultimately, both Joseph and Yeshua forced horrendous suffering, uh, faced horrendous suffering so that they could provide salvation and redemption for the Jewish people and the nations. Joseph's physically, and Yeshua's eternally. And what is Peter's response to the cry of the brokenhearted who are thinking in their flesh, what have we done? How can we ever be forgiven for our treacherous sins against God? Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the removal of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as Adonai your God calls to himself. With many other words, he warned them and kept urging them, saying, save yourselves from this twisted generation. So those who received his message were immersed, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. And there were thousands who found salvation that very day because they were able to move past the how could God ever love me mindset and were able to see the beauty of salvation right before their eyes, which is something we don't see in the brothers, brothers of Joseph in this Parsha. Now, let's continue with Joseph's response to his brothers. Remember early on, we said there were two distinctly different uh, responses. One was the brothers and one was Joseph. Genesis 50 verse 19 says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for, I am, for am I in the place of God? Yes, you yourselves planned evil against me. God planned it for good in order to bring about what it is this day, to preserve the lives of many people. So now, don't be afraid. I myself will provide food for you and your little ones so he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Can you see the drastic difference in the heart of Joseph from the hearts of his brothers in this scenario? 
His brothers are blinded by their fear and doubt because of their sins against Joseph. Yet, it's as if Joseph doesn't even see their sins at all. As though in Joseph's heart and mind, they never contemplated killing him and sold him into slavery. They never bullied and hated him. They never mocked him. It's as if to Joseph, all of the terrible things his brothers did to him uh, and uh, had been washed clean and forgiven. And while Joseph held no account of their wrongs, they still struggled with the guilt, shame, and fear associated with their sins. I imagine myself in Joseph's shoes, my brothers treating me like crap for years because of jealousy. They plot against me uh, to kill me, painfully throw me in a pit. Uh, I, I overhear their plans to kill me. Then I overhear their plans change to selling me to slavery. They lied for years to my father about what happened to me. And as far as they are concerned, once I left with the Ishmaelites, I was dead. Their actions caused me to be enslaved, then be imprisoned. Now I have ascended to be the, one of the most powerful men in the known world, and here they stand before me. I can tell you personally, and if you are honest with yourselves, you're probably in the same boat. It would have been a legitimate act of God if, it, if I did not use my newfound authority to completely, completely burn them when they returned. So I can imagine the pain and anguish that Joseph went through the first time his brothers appeared to him. I can imagine the strength and resolve it took not to, to not claim his rightful retribution against them. Despite his likely natural fallen human instinct to exact his retribution, his revenge, Joseph instead forgave them. And it is pretty clear, pretty quickly, that this was what was happening. Think about it. Even though he was testing their hearts to see if they had changed, he not only provided for them when they came the first time, he blessed them with a meal at his own table and sent them home with the original money in their bags as well. When he revealed himself to them, he flat out told them he had no hard feelings toward them and meant absolutely no harm against them. He told them he recognized what God was doing and while they meant uh, wrong against him in everything that happened, uh, that it all happened because God was working something far greater in the big picture. Beyond all of this, when Jacob comes down and the whole family is reunited with Joseph, uh, Joseph makes sure that they get the best possible land and as shepherds, he provides for them both in sustenance and in favor and protection. The text gives us the idea that he never once tried to bring up the conversation with his brothers again. He had completely wiped the slate clean. Yet here they stood, asking for forgiveness again. And if I were Joseph, and after everything that had transpired for the past 17 years, these fools come to me again with the same garbage, I think I would have definitely acted out in my humanity and exacted not only my retribution, but my revenge plus 17 years added onto that worth of interest just because they're a bunch of idiots. But Joseph doesn't. Joseph is patient and merciful with them. He shows them compassion and love beyond anything they ever could have thought they deserved. Reading Joseph's interaction here with his brothers makes me think of Yeshua hanging on the cross, suffering for sins not even his own. Yeshua hanging on the cross, suffering for our sins, having been beaten and mocked, having been tortured and now dying in agony, having been plotted against and falsely accused, and yet Luke 23, 34, Yeshua cries out from the cross, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. 
The enemy wants us to wallow in our sins and sorrows. He wants us to continue with a mindset like Judah, Simeon, Levi, and the others. Constantly afraid of what the boogeyman we've mentally made of Joseph is going to pop up and punish us for our wrongdoings. But the moment we receive salvation through the blood atonement of Yeshua, and the moment uh, is the very moment that our sins are wiped clean, never to be seen again. Paul says in Colossians 2.14, he wiped out the handwritten record of debts with the decree against us, which was hostile to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. See, it isn't that we don't deserve what should be coming to us. No, more than Joseph's brothers somehow didn't deserve, no more than Joseph's brothers somehow didn't deserve to get what was their just due. What's really happening is that just like Joseph did with his brothers, God has wiped clean our debt when we repent and receive salvation, he wipes away all our transgressions. He forgives all of our sins, and it is as if it never happened. And this is despite the fact that we fully deserve everything that should be coming to us, that God gives us freedom anyways. Notice the wording Paul uses here as translated in the Tree of Life version. He wiped out the handwritten record of debts with the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is the transgression of the law or the Torah and God keeps track of our sins because we will face judgment for all our actions. However, when we receive salvation and repent of our sins, he wipes the record completely clean. I liken this to a court docket in which the judge presiding has a docket that details all of our mistakes, all our crimes, every wrong we've ever committed. The accuser of men that we better, may better know as Hasatan acts as the prosecutor and stands in accusation of all of our failures. But when the Lord, our great judge, opens the docket, all of our crimes or sins, the, do the, the documents are uh, on the document are completely blank. They have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and our eternal judgment becomes eternal life instead. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is the crux of Peter's sermon in Acts 3, after healing the lame beggar, particularly verses 17 through 20. Now, brothers, I know that you, are at, that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders did. But what God foretold through the mouth of all of his prophets, that his Messiah was to suffer, so he is fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, so your sins might be blotted out, so times of relief might come from the presence of Adonai, and he might send Yeshua, the Messiah, appointed for you. And this is the prophetic foreshadowing we see in the heart of Joseph as, we, as he gave undeserved compassion and mercy to his brothers. Messiah Yeshua has in the same manner given us opportunity to receive undeserved compassion and mercy because he loves us. He desires to bless us and yearns to restore all creation back in faithful relationship with the creator of the universe. Trust me, we all deserve wor the worst hell has to offer. But through the blood atonement of the lamb, the Lord looks at us like Joseph did his brothers and declares over us as Joseph did to them in Genesis 50, verse 20. Yes, you yourselves planned evil against me. God planned it for good in order to bring about what it is this day to preserve the lives of many people. 
As I prepare to close, I'd like to go ahead and ask our worship team to make their way back up to the stage. How often do we find ourselves as believers approaching our Heavenly Father with the same timidity and anxiousness of Judah, Simeon, Levi, and the rest as they approach Joseph? See, Joseph's brothers had 17 years beyond their initial two encounters with him in which they witnessed Joseph's faithfulness, love, and definitively undeserved compassion towards them. So they had the, the head knowledge, per se, the book smarts, if you will, to know that they had indeed been forgiven and that Joseph would do them no harm, but they, they didn't quite have the heart knowledge yet. They had definitely all experienced some sort of transformational work of their heart, as could be seen by how they interacted with Joseph the first two times. But they still didn't quite see the bigger picture yet. They thought the only thing keeping them safe from Joseph's hand was Jacob being alive. The moment Jacob died, they assumed Joseph would be out to get them. But despite everything, and especially despite their inability to see it, Joseph had nothing but undeserved compassion, fully encompassed in love, forgiveness, and the ability to see the bigger picture. As believers in Yeshua, we have been forgiven. The record of our debts have been wiped clean, and undeserved compassion and love have been poured out upon us. We have the head knowledge of these realities, but unfortunately we often act as though we don't have the heart knowledge. But remember the words of John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Colossians 2, 14 says, he wiped out the handwritten record of our debts with the decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. And these words God is reminding us, as Joseph reminds his brothers at the end of Bereshit, that although we meant evil in our actions, he desires nothing but good. And through Yeshua, our Messiah, he will use us as he used Joseph to bring salvation both to Israel and the nations. And the key to this is trusting in his compassion, trusting in his love, trusting in his forgiveness, not constantly going back because the enemy's pointing at us and going, how could God love you? How could God want you? How could God ever desire you? Because the reality is, is the Lord doesn't care about what happened in the past anymore because we've been washed clean by the blood of the lamb. And if you don't yet know what that feels like, if you haven't yet experienced the power and the anointing of the blood of the Lamb washing away your sins, then today is the day to make that proclamation. Today is the day to announce and recognize that you are in fact a sinner, that you have sinned against God, that you have broken relationship with the God of all creation, and that he has in fact sent his only begotten son, that we could be redeemed, restored, and renewed through his salvation, through the blood of the lamb, through the atonement and forgiveness of our sins, that we could be restored eternally in his presence again. Today is the day, whether you've never known him or have you known him your whole life, but still wallow in self-pity and despair and fear, shame, and guilt over your past, or heck, even over what you did five minutes ago. Today is the day. It is now time for us to change our mentality and to align our hearts with the reality of what God has done, what has been provided through Yeshua's atonement. 
that our sins have been wiped away, that our uh, uh, docket of our sins, the docket of our debts and crimes have been washed away, that we owe nothing anymore, not because there's anything about us that takes care of the problem, but because God so loved us so much that he created us so that he could redeem us through his only begotten son, that we may have everlasting life. Today is the day that we change our mentality to where we recognize the might and the power of the atonement of Yeshua and walk fully in faithfulness in his restoration and forgiveness, in his undeserved compassion and mercy for us, not for our own sakes, but that the world around us may be saved because of the power and presence of the God of all creation that they see in our hearts and our lives, to Israel first and likewise to the nations. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord. We thank you that you are a God who forgives, that you are a God who does not keep a record of wrongs because the blood atonement of Messiah has wiped away our sins. Father, we thank you that you created us that we could be restored to you, knowing long before you ever breathed the first breath of life into existence that we would sin and fall short of the glory of God, yet you gave your only begotten Son that we could be restored and renewed in relationship with you. Father, I pray that you will encourage and uplift each and every one of us here today with that reality that when we walk out of these doors, our shame, our guilt, our fears of what might lie ahead for us because of what we've done in the past will be washed away. That we will receive a heart transformation, a blood transformation, that we will receive the blood atonement of Messiah in a new and powerful way so that when we walk out of here, we're no longer afraid of what might catch up to us but that we are ready to be used by you for the good and the glory of your holy name and your kingdom before all nations. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.